He's building a king. We're seeing that in the text. We're looking at David's life, but we want to say, but how does that impact me? What can I learn from David's life when God is ultimately trying to build a kingdom? And if you and I are saved in Jesus Christ, we are children of God as we just sung, and we understand that we are children of the king then, and then we know that we are actually part of the kingdom. And then we say, Lord, build your kingdom here. Build your kingdom here. I want to look at David's life. I want to learn, and I want to know you're powerfully at work in his life. I want you to be powerfully at work in my life, in this church, in this time right now. Yeah, you're building a king, but God, I pray. I pray that you would build your kingdom. Hi, friends, and welcome back to Live in the Light. Hey, you've joined us for a great day today. We're continuing on in our series entitled The Life of David, looking at this fascinating character from the Old Testament, looking at him uh, thousands of years ago, but also finding great and amazing truths for us as we seek to follow the Lord Jesus in this day and this age. So today's message, Pastor Robbie, comes from 1 Samuel 16, and, and it's titled The Building of a King. Another good word for us today, right? It really is. Again, we come I see David there, and he was a a nobody from Bethlehem. He was a little teenage boy, but set apart to be the next king of Israel. Samuel comes up, anoints him uh, with oil, indicating how he's going to be used by the Lord. It's just just so fascinating. David, I just love David. I had no clue what was going on. He's just like, I'm just trying to be faithful to my God. And here he is, and God raises him up to be used in such a significant way. Again, he was being built into the next king. Now, you're sitting where you are right now at home or at work or in your car and you're like can I be used of the Lord the answer is emphatically uh, yes you can and the greatest thing that you bring to the Lord is a heart that loves him blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God and this is David's life and this is why we join with him now into God's word to say I want to be used in the same way well then lean in listen up right now and receive some great truth from God's word for your life today oh we do pray you be so encouraged as God speaks to us all here at Live in the Light. All right, I'm encouraged already and trust you are as well. Let's go right away to God's word and the message today. 1 Samuel 16, and here again is Pastor Robbie. All right, please open your Bibles to um, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16. As we are uh, week number two in our series, The Life of David, and there's been a lot of good excitement about this series in the past week. That's exciting for me to hear, and people are kind of expecting, fired up, looking forward to what's ahead. That makes me expectant as well. That fires me up uh, as well. And so as we turn to 1 Samuel 16, this is a really interesting chapter. Here's why. The first half deals with the anointing of David as future king. That's the first half. David is anointed as the future king. The second half of chapter 16 deals with David now being called to serve the current king. I'll say that again. The first half, David's anointed as future king. But the second half, the first thing he's really called to do after this is to now serve the current king, which of course was Saul. Here's what's clear. The Lord in chapter 16 is building a king. He's set David apart. He's working in David's life. 
He's preparing David's heart. He's powerfully at work within David. But what happens again? The Lord takes a turn you and I would not expect. Again, he, he so often does this. We think David's anointed king. It would make sense he's on the throne now and all that kind of would go that place. But God draws up a play and comes forward with a design of this play that you and I would not come up with. And the reason for that is God is a, a perfect perfectly wise and uh, the best coach ever. God knows the play and he knows which play is needed and which day is needed and which life it is needed in. Again, but he does something that you and I would not do. Why? He's preparing David's heart. He's powerfully at work within David because in the end, loved ones, he wants to use David. And when David's heart is right, then David is ready then to be used for the purposes of God's kingdom. Now look right here, look right here, ready? He wants to use David, he wants to use you too. And he wants to use me as well. In chapter 16, God is building a king in David. Ultimately, in chapter 16, David's life points to Jesus Christ. Ultimately, the Lord is building a kingdom. He's building a king. We're seeing that in the text. We're looking at David's life, but we want to say, but how does that impact me? What can I learn from David's life when God is ultimately trying to build a kingdom? And if you and I are saved in Jesus Christ, we are children of God as we just sung, and we understand that we are children of the king then, and then we know that we are actually part of the kingdom. And then we say, Lord, build your kingdom here. Build your kingdom here. I want to look at David's life I want to learn and I want to know you're powerfully at work in his life. I want you to be powerfully at work in my life, in this church, in this time right now. Yeah, you're building a king, but God, I pray, I pray that you would build your kingdom here, now, man, woman, children, church, nation, world. God, build your kingdom. Can I get an amen? This is what we're seeking to do. This is the question that we're seeking to answer today. What does it mean when God is powerfully at work in my life? How do I know? when God is powerfully at work in my life. And we're gonna learn this. There's a thousand reasons biblically to this question, but we're gonna see three today from the life of David. Is God at work in my life? Well, here's how I know. Let's just jump to the first one uh, right now, point one, and then we'll read God's word. Here's the first indication that I know God's at work in my life. Number one is this, he will call me positively. He will call me Positively, look at 1 Samuel 16, verse 14 now. Let's get to the word now. So the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, behold now, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who's skillful in playing the lyre. And when the evil spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me, so I like this idea. Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. Verse 17 begins to understand this is now the call of God upon David's life for the next step of the development of his heart. But first of all, notice this. We read verse 14, look at verse 13. In verse 13, it says, the spirit, this is one of the great turning points of the Old Testament, by the way. Verse 13, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. And the very next verse, no coincidence here, this is the passing of the torch. This is significant in the kingdom of God and the building of a king. And the very next verse, the spirit of the Lord uh, departs from Saul. In terms of Saul, this is tragic. 
Saul's life is one sad, tragic tale of disobedience and rebellion. I want to give us a little bit of a context as we come to verse 13 and 14 in chapter 16 and the chapter preceding 16, of course, being chapter 15, details the story of Saul's self-destruction. Now learn here, loved ones, learn. Like these are massive lessons that we're gonna learn what not to do, okay? What not to do right here. I'm gonna go over it with us here briefly. Saul was commissioned by the Lord to destroy the Amalekites. Destroy them all, all the animals, king, everyone. But instead of fulfilling his commission, he partially obeyed. And what we learn in scripture is partial obedience is really no obedience at all. So what Saul did in his own wisdom, he spared King Agag, he spared the best of the sheep, he spared the best of the oxen. And what what he did was, in light of God's command, he adjusted God's order or God's command in light of his own wisdom, okay? So there's a very big lesson right here. He knew clearly what God had asked him to do. There was no question the commands were so clear. In light of his own wisdom and in the light of the pressure he faced around him, he took God's command, he adjusted it and suited it to his own liking. Loved ones, that is always, always gonna be a bad plan. I know what you said, God, but I think I have a better plan. I'm gonna twist it, makes my life a little easier and therefore we're gonna adjust it and see how things will work out. This just in, it won't work out well at all, okay? Now, for the mature Christian, the principle they get from this is this truth right here. Ready? Here it is. It's a, it's a good one, man. It is profound. Ready? Ready? God is smarter than me. And if God is smarter than me, I just do whatever he says. Whatever God says, do it. Well, I like my way. I know what God said, but I want it. It's amazing how many portions of the church see the direct command of God, but instead adjust it to what they think will capitulate to culture and somehow be more liked by man and then disregard the fear of the Lord. That's a church saying, we're smarter than you, God, because your Bible now is outdated. That's not going to work out well. Another sample of life, I remember... A young couples who decide, yeah, I know God's word says I shouldn't fornicate before getting married, have sex before marriage. You know what? Let's get with the times, man. God's word is old. We're going to do it our way and we're going to adjust God's command. I think it's going to work out okay. You're wrong. You will be sadly mistaken as you go through life thinking that somehow you can go against what God has said and somehow that will work out well. No, I think we'll live together before we're married because everyone's doing it. Come on, relax, lighten up. Foolishness. And whenever we take God's command and somehow try to adjust it in light of our own wisdom, that is demonstrating how silly we actually are. This is what Saul was doing. Samuel then is told by the Lord about Saul's disobedience. Samuel was so angry, but Samuel also was so grieved. The text says in chapter 15, he cried to the Lord all night. You can see how much Samuel had a heart for Saul. Saul, what are you doing? Saul, why have you done this? Saul, you had this chance. Saul, you knew what God said. Why are you going against the command of the Lord? He's crying to the Lord all night. And Samuel comes up to Saul. And here's what Saul says. We're, we're learning lessons here. Don't do this. Saul says to Samuel, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Really, Saul? What has he just done? He's rationalized his sin. He's convinced himself it's not what it really is. We do that. We do that. We're tempted to all the time. And Samuel then says this very, very famous verse. He says, what then is this bleating of sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear, Saul? And what a statement that was, what a moment. You know what you sense in Samuel? You sense in Samuel, Saul, why didn't you obey? 
Saul, why don't you just obey? Saul, why does the will of God have to pass through your will? Why does God's will have to go through your will, Saul? Why can't just God's will be God's will? You know, life is hard enough as it is. Can we not try to play God? I mean, life is, life is hard enough as it is. Can we not stop trying to play God? Saul, can you not try to play God? But Saul, when faced with true conviction, when Saul confronted with his own sin, he does what cowards do. Don't do this either. What cowards do when they are confronted with their own sin is they blame other people. And Saul said, the people made me do it. The people did it. And Samuel couldn't take it. And he says, stop, reading the text, stop. Heard enough of the rationalization of sin. Saul, you know full well, this is your responsibility and this is your sin. Lovelace, I just have to stop and make this point right here. Just if your pattern, if our pattern in life is blaming others for our sin, you will not win. You know how many marriages go down the tubes? Because they just can't own their own sin. How many leadership structures fail because they just can't own their own? How many relationships are so wounded and destroyed because they can't own? It's their fault, his fault, her fault, that fault. This was Saul, man, don't be a Saul. He would not own what was his to own. Who knows what would happen if he just owned it all? Instead, he blames the people. Samuel really can't take it. And then Samuel, he says in 1 Samuel 15, verse 22, he says here, he says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? And what he's saying here, he's like, Saul, Saul, God doesn't want religious external obedience. God's not looking for some uh, pharisaical game. He doesn't want something on the outside where the inside, nothing's changed. God wants obedience from the heart. Saul, he wants the heart. He's saying that to us today. He wants your heart. He'll take the heart a million times over than some kind of outward, external, religious game that we're playing. And the next verse, he says to Saul here in verse 23, he says this, for rebellion is as the sin of divination. Saul, don't you understand to the Lord? Divination is the same as witchcraft. Your rebellion against the command of the Lord is as serious as witchcraft. God doesn't want some church gore standing up, sitting down, leaving, and then un- God wants a surrendered and repentant heart before him. This context now takes us to verses 13 and 14 of chapter 16. It's here then, in light of all that's happened, the spirit of the Lord rushes upon David, and then the spirit of God departs from Saul. Now, when we read verse 14, I got to take just a couple of moments to clarify some very important theology because I know there's a number of thoughts that are running through this room right now. As we look at verse 14, it says, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Now, what exactly is happening here? Saul in the Old Testament, Saul never received the spirit of God in terms of New Testament understanding of regeneration, sanctification, to be born again, uh, converted and baptized by the Holy Spirit of God. That's not what's happening in the Old Testament with Saul. Saul rather is receiving a temporary uh, filling of God's spirit to fulfill the ministry that God has entrusted to him. This is in contrast with the New Testament as we have just said, where the person is genuinely saved And as they are saved, 
the once and for all baptism of the Holy Spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism of the Holy Spirit fills them and the Bible tells us then we are sealed with the guarantee of the Holy Spirit, the assurance of our salvation. So the Old Testament temporary, but the New Testament, when we have the Spirit of God. So here's what I'm gonna make. It's crystal clear right now. When you read verse 14, what you are not taking away is, can I lose the Spirit of God? If you are genuinely saved in Jesus Christ, you cannot lose the Holy Spirit, okay? You can quench him, you cannot lose him. Which also means then, you cannot lose your salvation, That has to be as clear as I can possibly state, okay? You're here today. If you are genuinely saved in Jesus Christ, you cannot lose your salvation. Somebody please say amen, all right? All right, no, no, hear that, hear that, hear that. That's what we understand. This is the gospel. This is the power of the gospel. However, let me say this, and this is part of the tricky theology, but it's important. If we are constantly pushing the Holy Spirit away from us through sin, let us not be surprised that we become unusually vulnerable to the attack of the evil one. If we are constantly pushing away the spirit of God through the pursuit of sin in our lives, let's not be surprised that we find ourselves unusually vulnerable to the attack of the devil. When we do this, we are like a stray antelope wandering around in a savanna of lions. And it's just a matter of time before we get pounced on and devoured. Let me also say this, okay? And this is one last point of clarity and just in this one point of theology so important. If our lives are marked by habitual sin and there's no genuine repentance, there's no genuine fruit, like if sin is the mark of our lives in terms of habitual sin that we have never seen victory over, that there's been no real sorrow for that and we're going along and the, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 13, if sin marks our lives and we don't really care, examine yourselves to see whether or not you are truly in the faith. Because if someone's truly saved in Christ, they have the Holy Spirit in them. They have broken the chains, man. They have been set free. They are forgiven. They must change. Hard days, yes. Ups and downs, yes. Valleys, yes. Mountains, yes. But ultimately, we must start becoming more like Jesus Christ. And there are a lot of people, man. I know Jesus, I know Jesus. And yet sin is the dominating characteristic of their life and victory is not seen. The Bible tells us, just look, look, look closely, look carefully. Are we sure? Are we sure? Again, I needed to take some time on that and I think you realize why right now. As we go back to our text here, what happens? So God removes his protection from Saul and now the evil spirit fills the void upon Saul's life, a a devastating turn of events for Saul. Notice the solution of the servants of Saul in verse 16. So this is apparent to a lot of people. The servants see this in verse 16. They're like, let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the evil spirit from God is upon you, he will play and you will be well. Now, now, in one sense, the advice of the servants here it's helpful. It's good. It's good. Music is created by God. Today, uh, the, the worship music of God, just so encouraging. It lifts our hearts, especially combined with such rich theology. God uses it. He's always used that. Such a blessing. In one sense, this advice is good. But in another sense, uh, this advice is not good enough. Because really with the servants and their understanding what they are doing, they are asking for a Band-Aid solution uh, for a man who needs heart surgery. 
They are asking for some music to be played that will soothe his symptoms, but will not actually deal with it. What does Saul need most of all right now? What does he need? What he needs most of all is a broken and contrite heart. Because God does not despise that. What Saul needs more than anything else is a genuine path of repentance because that is the person, that is the man or woman God rushes in to fill and use. That is the person God calls. The person broken in their sin. The person understanding they need the Lord. So they're like, play some music. But the problem with this solution is, again, it's just masking the real problem and providing a temporary escape and ignoring the real issues. Loved ones, be very, very, this is the, this is the system of our world. The system of our world is cover the pain with medication, drugs, and endless forms of entertainment. Be very, very careful that you and I don't fall victims to this system that is all around us all the time. Take away my pain. Just take away the feeling of pain. Make me feel happy for a few moments. Give me the drugs. Give me the medication. Give me the entertainment just so I can feel better for a couple of hours and then we'll see what happens after that. The problem and the devastation with that system, which our whole world is under right now, it is only soothing the symptoms. It never changes the action need. Unless you deal with the root, you will not change the fruit. And so you have endless cycles of people and pain and misery, anger, frustration, and sin because they've never actually tackled the root. You can play the music all you want, but unless you change the heart, you will not change the fruit of your life. Saul needed repentance. But what he got here in this sense was, let's just make him feel better. But of course, Saul would never be used in the same way again. I mean, who isn't that for here today? Where are we so vulnerable to the system, the demonic system of our world of temporarily masking the pain of our lives and the attempts to feel better temporarily? God, give us clarity and help us to see and then lead us to repentance that we might be free. Notice verse 17, Saul hears the suggestion. He likes it. He says to his servants, all right, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. Okay, so now we see God's plan for David unfolding. God is at work in David's life and God is using Saul and his servants now to call David. David's anointed as king. He's tending the sheep. He's serving the Lord where the Lord has placed him. He's waiting patiently and God now begins to move. See, see, loved ones, when the Lord is at work within our lives, positively, he will call us too big, too small. What we see as small is big. What we see as big as small. But God will work. God will call. He's looking for those that he can use. And when he's at work within our lives, again, he will call us. And he will call us, listen, uh, uh, most often he will call us in this way to a place of service. Notice David was called up to the palace. Big promotion from the shepherd's field. But at the same time, he's called down to serve. He's anointed as king. He's anointed as king. But the next step in his development of his heart is to serve the current king. We would say, that seems kind of strange. Not strange to God. God's developing the heart of a man who will be one of the greatest kings ever in the history of his people. He's developing a man that will carry the title of man after God's own heart. And he knows exactly what David needs. But the point is here, he's calling David to serve. When God's at work in your life and mine, he will call us. 
He will call us to serve in our homes. He will call us to serve in church. He will call us to serve the lost. He will call us to serve the poor. He will call us to serve not for our sake, but his. He will call us to serve. And remember, in the kingdom of God, the way up is down. The way up is down, loved ones. And David was learning this lesson too to make him a man of character, a man who understands the power and the will of God for his life. If God's at work in you, he will call you. He will call you positively. Leads us to number two, which is this. If God is at work in you, he will authenticate me powerfully. He will authenticate me. This is one of my favorite points. Verse 18. One of the young men heard what Saul said, and he's like, okay, I know this guy, this son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. He's skillful in playing. He's a man of valor, courage. He's a man of war. He's prudent in speech, a man of good presence. And this is it. And the Lord is with him. And the Lord is with him. Saul heard this and he sent messengers to Jesse, Jesse and he said, send me David, your son. Notice, notice, who is with the sheep. What do we learn here? God's at work in David's life. How do we know? When God is at truly at work in someone, he authenticates himself in them. I mean, look at how verse 18 starts. One of the young men answered, wait, wait, I know someone, I know someone. And this young man provides incredible detail about David. So tell me, do you think David was campaigning around going, I'm this amazing shepherd, I'm this amazing speaker, I'm this amazing man of war, I'm this amazing uh, musician, uh, God is with you. Do you think David's campaigning this? Not a chance. So what's the difference here? How, does it, how do these guys know? Because the Lord is campaigning for David. It's the Lord who's doing it, loved ones. Okay, so when I see this truth, I say, stop the presses, stop the presses. If this lesson could be learned by us, how many of our lives would be changed? What is it? It's the Lord who authenticates me, not me. How often we fight for ourselves, how often we promote ourselves, how often we project ourselves, and that only proves how stupid we really are. Because if we try to put ourselves forward, we can't win. But when God does it, we can't lose. This is why one of my favorite verses is 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves under the, look at, humble. Take the action of humility. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And this is the mighty hand of God over here. The mighty hand, not our, God's mighty hand. So at the proper time, see, our thing is we, we get impatient. We don't believe in this. We, we want to say, I'm going to take control. I'm going to do it. But the proper time, God, God may exalt you. The, this is David's life. This is why he was used. He believed it's the Lord who authenticates. It's the Lord's timing. It's the Lord's strength. It's the Lord's grace. It's the Lord's power. God is the one who does this. So again, again, see this in the text. David is not posturing. David is not campaigning. David is not forcing anything. What is David doing? Faithfully serving where he is but waiting for God's call when it comes. Here's a great principle. God opened the door to the palace. David only had to walk through the door. And if we could learn that in our lives, wow, we would save ourselves a lot of pain, misery, and heartache. God's the one who opened the door. David only had to walk through. What is that? Faith, surrender, understanding God cares, God knows, and God is the one who does. Our problem is, though, we want to take the wheel. God's driving. He drives, right? He, 
He's the driver in our lives. But our problem is we get impatient. We lack faith. We want things to go according to our will. So what happens is God's got the wheel and we steal the wheel from God. Have you, how many times have we done this in our life? We, we, we take the wheel from God and say, God, you're going too slow. Hurry up. Let me drive. God's driving along and we take the wheel from God. God, 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 you're going the wrong way. Why'd you, don't, don't turn that way. Go this way. Come on, give me the wheel. How many times in our lives have God been driving and we're like, wait, wait, God, I know a shortcut, man. Give me, give me, I'll drive, I'll drive. All right, let's go this way. How many times have we done that in seemingly trying to force our will upon the Lord's? You know, one of my favorite phrases has been in the last several months. It's, it's just been this, it's been so helpful for me. I commend it to you. The phrase from my lips so often has been, whatever you want, Lord, whatever you want. You're like, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is, is I don't know what's best for me, but I know God does. And um, I can see some things that I think should happen, but at the end of the day, I believe, I believe when I'm in that place of sincere faith that God knows and God is best and God does what is right. And so therefore, I wanna put my life in his hand. And I just want to trust him with whatever he wants to do with me. And so I convince myself, I preach to myself, whatever you want, Lord. And it brings peace to my heart and soul because it allows me to give up, give up in the moment and just to say, you're driving, Lord, not me. And you will always take me to the place that I really need to be. If you'd like to hear this message again or the rest of the messages from this series, you can find these resources and more on our website at liveinthelight.ca. I'm Craig Turnbull, and on behalf of Robbie Simons, we invite you to join us again next time on Live in the Light. I wanna